Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our On Point podcast. I'm Mark McKee, the head of Viewpoint School, and today we're diving in to our College Conversations series. The goal of these episodes is to give you valuable insight from our college counselors here at Viewpoint about the changes that parents and students can expect as they face the college admissions journey. Today, I'm here with Rodi Davis, our Director of College Counseling. Rodi has been at Viewpoint for 15 years and is an industry leader as a subject matter expert for more than double that time. Um, Rodi, thank you for indulging my uh, podcast habit, and uh, thank you for joining us here today. My pleasure. So, um, Rodi, today we're going to talk about some of the trends that we're seeing right now. Um, I uh, love podcasts because, you know, we're always driven by something that's been written out in the news. And today, that thing that's been written out in the news is, of course, your article in our most recent edition of Viewpoint Magazine, that one with belonging on the cover. Um, And so this is part of an ongoing series. um, But I'm eager to dive into the first conversation. That article summarized some of the trends that we're seeing in college admissions. And I'm sure that more changes have come to light even since then. Um, Tell us what sparked this piece. Well, one of the things that makes college counseling so exciting, really, to me, and one of the reasons why I've been in this work for so many years is it's so dynamic. It's changing so much every year, and especially in the last couple of years, the changes have been hugely dramatic. So, like, I think, you know, as people enter into the process, this, my target for this is really junior parents, sophomore and junior parents, maybe even senior parents a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really important to kind of highlight what's new, what's different, because some people have had kids who've gone through it before, and there's new changes even in the last couple of years. So I I think it's good to kind of highlight what's new and what's different. Maybe I should move this. I know I've been teaching since um, about 1990. Um, How long have I been working in college counseling? Well, my first job was way back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an assistant in the college counseling office at uh, the Kincaid School in Houston. And this was during the era of everyone filled out either with a typewriter or by hand their college applications. And we Xeroxed the transcripts. I can remember typing up the transcripts. Mm. I mean, we used typewriters. <laughs> Um, I I remember that as a student in the 80s. I remember that as a teacher filling out college recommendations for my students in the 90s. And I remember the college counseling office at that school where I taught being just a sea of paper. Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) files. We used to file everyone's application in this big file cabinet and, you know, liquid paper. Everyone had a bunch of liquid paper (laughs) to, like, correct their corrections. And um, and it was it was interesting because, like, technology, which is a game changer for pretty much every aspect of our life, like that changed college admission processes in a huge way. But before computer before like the common application which was on the uh, like on the computer um like everyone would do an application for that particular school and one of the great benefits to that was that these applicant pools weren't flooded with thousands and thousands of applications so you know students had to be really thoughtful about you know the eight to ten applications that they did because it took so long to do them by hand or to type them so i think one of the biggest changes 
in college admission and college counseling is the advent of technology and online applications. It's amazing. And I know that was one of the trends that you wrote about in your article. As I think about that, sure, I, I, if I applied to five schools, I, I think um, I filed three independent paper applications. I licked three envelopes. <laughs> yeah. And then the UCs, okay, I could get away with one envelope there, I think. And I uh, filed, uh, I could check two boxes on the same form. But you know what? The 90s saw the Common App, um, saw the advent of the internet. Mm -hmm. And then in the early 2000s, we saw what that's done to the numbers of college applications. Um, you wrote a little bit about um, the use of artificial intelligence and mm -hmm. uh, chat GPT. Um, what's the influence of ChatGPT in the college admissions, college counseling space? Oh my gosh. I think we will see. We'll see how it impacts things this year. I think really it's hard to know how much students really used it this year in the process. Mm -hmm. I do know that, like I attended a conference, uh, the College Board Conference earlier this, mm -hmm. this fall, and there was a lot of talk about AI and uh, generative AI. And, you know, one of the big takeaways for me is that we have to embrace this. This is not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, we have to teach kids how to use it. We have to provide some guardrails for its use. I think in the college process, like, you know, Michael Horn and Jeff Salingo, who I know you listen to great, like, journalists and writers about higher ed, um, they talked about, in a podcast a couple of months ago, they talked about AI, using AI as a thought partner. And I really like how that is framed in that this isn't something that is going to, you know, talk for you, but right. it's some, some like a partner, an idea sharing partner. Um, I can see students using it to maybe do college research. I can see like the use of it as maybe helping generate ideas for essays. There was actually a college counselor, a guy named Jeff Neal, who works at a international school, who is kind of the college counseling leader in AI and talking about AI. And, uh, he has a process by which he wrote his college recommendations using AI. Mm -hmm. So I think that there, and one of the things he said, which is so interesting, I keep coming back to this, is like, he said, AI might not take your job, but someone knows who knows how to use it productively might take your job. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, I think about our viewpoint students and you know they're both um you know they're smart sophisticated users of technology i can't really imagine any of them just using ai to replace their work on their college applications because they're much too intent right i mean you know when, when gpt first came out a year ago one of the first things that we did was say oh write me a sample college application from a junior about a community outreach trip to Costa Rica, and it produced a really boring essay right. from a really imaginary junior, right? right. Um, and I can't imagine our students doing that, but there might be smart ways for them to use it. Right. I mean, I think our advice is always going to be, you need to highlight who you are, what mm -hmm. makes you unique. And that's not something that you're going to be able to get through an AI, you know, feed. Um and I think there's a way to use AI to help maybe fine tune an idea or take you into a new direction mm -hmm. with some, 
you know, ideas that you're not sure how to address. So I think there's, there's a way to, to use it that is going to maintain your authentic voice, which is really the key in an application, mm-hmm. and also maybe be another tool. And I could also see kids feeding into an AI program like, I'm looking for, you know, a large state university that offers nutrition and public policy that's, you know, in a warm climate. Like, I think it can be used probably as a research tool. So. That sounds like it's coming for your job. <laughs> Potentially. Um, but see, I'm going to know how to use it, exactly. so it's not going to come <laughs> so for So you're my safe. Job. You, um, you worked in your career as I think all or most, I think all of our current college counselors have worked on the other side of the desk. Mm-hmm. Um, during a part of your career. In other words, you worked in a college admissions office. You were on the other side of all those applications, trying to find the right people for a university. Um, What do you think about their perspective and how AI might change their point of view as they're looking at applications from students uh, from places like Viewpoint all across the country? Yeah. Well, this is a question that, you know, our entire profession is pondering right now, especially as admission offices are dealing with unprecedented numbers of applications. Mm. In fact, we're starting to hear back from colleges uh, at the end of this early round, um, you know, what the stats are. And I don't know how it happens, but again and again, year over year, apps are up. So Mm -hmm. I think that my guess is, and there's a lot of speculation about this in the profession, that colleges will find ways to use AI to help them just process these thousands of applications. So, you know, maybe figuring out some sort of algorithm that will give them, like, you know, a group of of applicants that they're trying to, you know, maybe more business students or maybe more humanities students. I I'm not sure exactly how they're going to use it, but I know that admission offices are really thinking about how they can use it in in the work that they have to do, which is so much right now. Like, admission offices are struggling to read all the apps that they have to read. Boy, it really makes the point that you started with that this is a, an area that's changing fast. Mm-hmm. And... Um, mm-hmm. We should say, like, today, as we're recording this, it's December 1st, Mm -hmm. and um, at least in a viewpoint context, some 90% of our senior class have filed applications, you know, November 1 deadlines, November 15 deadlines, and um, we've had some successes from, you know, rolling admissions, but even most of those early applications, we haven't begun to get results yet, so... um, we're talking at a particularly um, auspicious moment in the cycle <laughs> yes. as the seniors are preparing their like their regular deadline applications, right? Right. <laughs> y- yesterday was the big UC Cal State deadline. November oh, of course, 30th. November thirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's it's interesting. One of the other new trends that we're seeing is that you know these large state schools, mm-hmm. the ESPN schools, we I, call I, them. I, that was the first time in your article that I had heard that term, ESPN schools. Tell me about the ESPN schools. Large state schools yes. with vibrant community campuses. Um, the ones I see on Saturday morning on ESPN, yeah, in other words. game okay. day. Yeah. One of my favorite things. <laughs> I wake up at the crack of dawn to watch game day every Saturday, um, you know, which have big, spirited Division One sports programs, yep. you know, ESPN schools. That's right. Um, it just kind of is a short shorthand for these large public flagship places that do an amazing job of educating kids. They have 
a huge number of different programs. They have, you know, a ton of clubs. They have research opportunities. They have great athletics. They have, for the most part, really good facilities. Um, and they often have things like really high-quality honors colleges um, or special certificate programs that, you know, allow students to not just uh, single major or double major, but like, you know, get maybe a certificate in a different area that is not necessarily their major. So like... Have the, they grown in uh, visibility, popularity among Viewpoint students? Oh yeah. Which oh yeah. ones are, do you see growing the most among well, Viewpoint students? Well, you know, it's interesting. Like Michigan, you know, eight years ago, right? I would say three quarters of our applicants got into Michigan. It was a great you know, kind of backup, a great school to have in your back pocket going into the winter, uh, waiting to see the rest of your applications. Places, Colorado, UC, CU Boulder. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that used to be everyone's favorite likely. I am so nervous this year. Like, we are just seeing, like, huge numbers of kids applying to Boulder. Like, I think the secret's out on that one. Well, it's, um, uh, it's been highly publicized, actually. <laughs> well, Coach Prime. That's right. <laughs> Although, you know, I think their <clears throat> football record isn't necessarily what they had hoped. But, um, you know, it, it has shown a lot of light on that school and that mm -hmm. program. And it's just a phenomenal opportunity and a great campus. So, you know, I think one of the trends that we're seeing is, like, Students could apply to a lot of these high, you know, Georgia, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Oregon, uh, um, Colorado, and here back in December. But because of the onslaught of applications, they've now moved the notification dates back to January. So, mm. so that's made it tough in that you can't get a sense of an of how a student's application is being read early on that would impact potentially where they would apply during the regular round. So from a strategy point of view, it's really kind of, you know, been hard. It, it's been a, a tough thing to adjust to in terms of, like, we always wanted to get a sense of how kids were being read early on so that we could make adjustments for the regular round. But now we don't really have that option because... How might, yeah, how might students adapt to that landscape? Well, I think just discovering new options, right? Mm -hmm. There are so many great schools out there that I think, you know, I'm thinking of places like the University of Kansas, a mm -hmm. fantastic ESPN school, mm -hmm. one of the top basketball programs around, but also just an amazing business program, an amazing engineering program, a great Lawrence, Kansas, one of the best college towns in the country. Like, you know, kind of discovering what are some of those other sort of hidden gems that maybe kids in California don't necessarily think of immediately when they're thinking of big state schools. Every time I come in your office, I think I'm learning about a new college. And it's funny, I, I've been aware my whole career in K-12 that, and I've always been reminding students my whole career, there are more than 2,000 colleges and universities in the country. Um, if you think about the ones, if you sat down and named the ones you've heard of, might come up with a list if you're really good of a hundred or two hundred, but you don't. I don't think you'd scratch more than that. Mm -hmm. um, how have you seen the list uh, change? I, you know, I, I I think about the list as often. It used to feel like it was driven by the U.S. News and World Report list, and we're in a world now where 
you know, U.S. News is um, under pressure. You know, the medical schools, the law schools Mm -hmm. have uh, begun to drop U.S. News. Like, um, how do you think about the way, quote unquote, the list has changed for students over the last five to 10 years? Well, I think because of these huge applicant pools, Mm -hmm. I think students have had you know, by necessity to look beyond sort of the big name places. Um, I think as applicant pools have ballooned, admit rates have dropped. Mm -hmm. So, you know, places that might have been, you know, a target or even a likely, sometimes people call those safety schools, for for students for whom schools might have been a target or a likely, not so anymore. So mm-hmm. I think just by necessity, they've had to look beyond, you know, the rankings because that's where a lot of students tend, you know, traditionally a lot of families tend to put a lot of credence in those. Yeah. Especially international students who may not have, you know, knowledge beyond that of a bunch of different types of schools in the States. I think there's a lot of uh, emphasis put on the rankings, you know, worldwide. So that has made those applicant pools so huge. So you did a lot of work a couple of years ago, I think, pushing people beyond the rankings. Mm-hmm. What was that? Um, there was a phrase that you had about the rankings, <laughs> like, you know, but I, I um, about, you know, not being stressed by the rankings. But uh, I, I, I know I've been impressed in my time watching our students and their outcomes with how individualized they are and how, yeah. you know, our mission statement talks about each individual viewpoint student. And I always look at the list every year. I'm always surprised by it. And yet it always makes sense for each individual viewpoint student, even in the changing times. Well, you know, I, our goal is to ensure that students have options. Like, I think there's a pressure that sometimes kids have as they start this this phase of the process, like junior year, like mm-hmm. right now, this week right we now. had junior family college night. That's right. Congratulations on a new junior family college night. You know, thank you. I know that's it's like, like a new year. It's like a new year. exactly. It's a big watershed moment, especially for juniors and their parents. Um, but like, I think that uh, there's a lot. Sometimes pressure to like, I need to choose the college that I'm going to attend right yeah. now. That's and right you know, no, you don't. You have over a year, a year and a half or so before you need to like really choose a college to attend. So I think sometimes to underscore to to students, like you don't, you're not choosing something right now. So right now it's about exploring, doing research, reflecting on who you are and what you need. That changes as kids mature, as they work through the rest of junior year. Senior year is a time of enormous growth and change. So I think to underscore the need to, like, this isn't, you don't have to choose a college right now. Right now it's about creating options. So I think to encourage kids, kind of getting at your the question you asked a little bit ago, like how have you managed to, you know, deal with, um, the changing nature of selectivity, like encouraging kids to sort of think beyond what everyone else is, is focused on and to really explore, to visit places. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our East Coast College tour coming up mm-hmm. in the spring, our HBCU tour that uh, we're going to be having in the fall, like encouraging kids to visit campuses and to really, you know, think beyond 
what is the ranking of the school, which is right. not a very helpful criteria. It really doesn't tell you much about the experience you're going to have. And for a junior in the class of 2025, you're right. They won't be choosing their college until 2025, right? right? Um, right. So uh, it's, it's an impossibly high number, 2025, but those are our 11th graders. And I, I mean, what it what is it up to now? I, I think, you know, uh, a student viewpoint, the average last year was applied to some 13 schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the challenge really is to identify a list of places that you where you could see yourself. Right. And I think um, all of our students can do the research to find a place where they see themselves, uh, to find maybe 10 places where they can see themselves, yes. right? Yeah. Another trend in your article that got my attention was the elimination of race-conscious college admissions. Um, you, uh, you had a point of view there about the June 2023 Supreme Court ruling that ended the consideration of race uh, as a factor used in college admissions. Um, uh, can you give us a breakdown of the ruling itself? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to this, but basically the Supreme Court, you know, after hearing some cases by, uh, brought against Harvard, Mm-hmm. And UNC Chapel Hill by the Students for Fair Admissions, a, a interest group that was run by this lawyer um, who brought the cases against Harvard and UNC, stating that affirmative action was unconstitutional. And the Supreme Court upheld that in mm-hmm. June. So stating basically that for college campuses to use, for admission pro- programs to use, uh, race as uh, a factor in admissions was unconstitutional and therefore illegal. So we are entering a whole new era of admission, and um, it's concerning. You know, we mm-hmm. so so many of us use data as we make decisions, data-driven decision-making. And that is very true in admission offices, like collecting data and using it to help craft the class. And so now with this new ruling, admission offices won't be able to use data as they as one of the factors. Like race has always been just one of the factors, mm-hmm. one of many factors in um, the admission process. But now that is not... a they're not allowed to use data. They're not allowed to use data that's linked to race. So students can still talk about their their experience with race in their applications, but the hard part is going to be that there's no systemic way that admission offices can really uh, harness that data to help them make decisions. So I don't know. I think it's going to be really, really hard, and that is one of the biggest. Um, changes that's happening this year that admission offices are grappling with. So, Angel Perez, um, who is uh, our, our colleague, I think you, you know yeah. him as well, um, CEO of the National Association for College Admission, Admission Counseling, NACAC. Um, Angel predicts that we will see a decline in students of color attending colleges before we see an increase again. Um, what do you think of his take on this? Well, you know, as... The CEO of the organization that represents college admission officials around the country at both colleges and high schools, and as a former admission officer himself from Pitzer College and and a variety of other places. He's also in Hartford, right? Trinity, yeah. Yeah, he was at Trinity. Uh, I first met him when he was at Claremont McKenna. Um, So he is a, like, very well-respected professional 
uh, and researcher in our profession. So I, I think he's probably spot on because I think as colleges adjust to this new system of not being able to use the race data point, like they're going to be struggling to figure out how many kids in the pool are represented by a certain races. So um, I think as colleges try to figure out how to, f to deal with that, we will see a drop um, in those in numbers of black, Latinx students. So students who are historically underrepresented in these applicant pools. Here in California, um, certainly our UCs have had a similar policy um, mandate Mm -hmm. um, already. Um, and so you've already nearly seen, 20 years, yeah. yeah, you've already seen how this plays out at the UCs. Yeah. Um, how does that impact your perspective on this trend? Well, I mean, one of the things that's frustrating for me is that I think colleges, they are definitely committed to creating diverse student bodies. So mm -hmm. they're going to have to throw all kinds of resources, mm -hmm. millions of dollars, at the issue through recruiting mechanisms, through perhaps special programs that get at trying to diversify their student bodies in the absence of being able to use the data. So, I mean, for me, it's like I think about how expensive college is. Like, and for institutions to have to divert funds to compensate for this issue when they, those funds could maybe be used for financial aid. Mm -hmm. or different programs. Like, other ways of achieving a diverse student body. That's yeah, right. and other ways to like <clears throat> use the money, the precious resources that these institutions have that really impact you know, everyone's experience on campus. So I, I don't know. It's, I think we're all just waiting to see what will happen because after the class is, after the, the deposits are made on May 1st, the Common App, for example, will be able to release the race data that they have collected on the application that's just been blocked from college admission officers from reviewing it. So they're collecting the data. They just can't look at it as they're making decisions. But when the big reveal happens later this spring, I think it'll be interesting to see what the numbers really are. So, you know. So as a practical matter, your counterparts in college admission offices will have a moment after May 1st when they sort of see what the composition is of the class according to those um, what have historically been, you know, check boxes on an application. Right, that they've been able to use as a data point in their admission yeah. process. Yeah. So. Well, it is, as you said, a very fast moving, um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I, I understand that um, Students for Fair Admission, you know, now has other schools in sight, and uh, including the uh, academies. And um, we'll, well see what one happens. of the things that they they did, which is I think really important for everyone to know, is the day after the ruling, they sent a letter to 150 of the top, you know, the most selective co private and public colleges around, and said, "We're watching, and mm -hmm. if we see you breaking this this law, we're going to sue you." So I think, you know, colleges and universities are also nervous about the money that they're going to have to spend to fight legal battles that this group, you know, SFFA is going to, you know, the lawsuits that they're going to file. So clearly resources that could be better deployed educationally. Yes. <laughs>
And, yes. uh, and, and I mean, at the same time, we have um, colleges putting uh, on the table their um, legacy admission policies, right? And other sorts of preferences um, are under pressure. Yeah. Um, are, are you seeing any movement on that? A little bit. I think colleges and universities are very hesitant to, you know, tinker with that very much just because it's linked to fundraising. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I don't know. There's, again, stay tuned. Before we run out of time, um, let's uh, talk about the trend you were talking about, about the FAFSA, um, you know, which is, uh, well, tell me, FAFSA, the Free application for federal student assistance. Is that right? Financial student. Federal the FAFSA? Uh, free application for federal student aid. Yes. The FAFSA. And so, um, what's the headline about how the federal government is uh, changing the FAFSA? So, one of the things they're doing, which is good, is traditionally the FAFSA has been a hundred plus questions mm -hmm. that families had to answer in order. It's a document that the federal government asked families to do if they are applying for financial aid. And so virtually every college and university requires that if you're applying for, for aid. So, and it's traditionally been this really, really long, cumbersome document. Um, over the years, they've attached it to IRS data. So that was a big step forward and that like it would link automatically to uh, parents' uh, uh, tax documents mm -hmm. once it was filed. So this year they've reduced it to just a little less than 50 questions. So they think it's going to be faster. But, and they've adjusted the family contribution, the EFC, the statement of the EFC, which is the estimated family contribution to the student aid index. So they've changed the language a little bit to reflect that this isn't exactly what families are going to pay, but this is what the aid index could be for students. Um, you know, they've done things like they're not going to give a break for uh, families who have multiple kids in college. That's going away, which is kind of unfortunate for a lot of people who have multiple kids in college. Um, they are, one good thing is they're going to, you'll be able to list up to 20 schools. Traditionally, it's been 10. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of, you know, mirroring the fact that more kids are applying to more colleges. But the biggest issue is that, you know, it's not going to be ready until the very end of December. So I'm not sure how – this is another thing that colleges are having to deal with this year is, like, how do they give aid, award, aid awards to students who are applying in the early round? So I think we'll see delays in financial aid awards. Um, students won't have all the info they need necessarily, especially early on, to make decisions, financial decisions about college. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. The federal government's trying to, you know, roll that out right now, and it's been cumbersome. So. It's uh, it, the software's not done yet, is it? No. Yeah, I was just hearing about this the other day, and that must be incredibly stressful for again the people on the other side of the desk who are managing all that data and trying to come up with information for people. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. do you think it will ultimately affect the availability of aid for students in the next year? Yeah, I do. I, yeah. think, I think that there will be glitches and errors, mm -hmm. as there always are with new platforms. I think 
there will be maybe a lack of trust in what the awards are. And um, I think that, you know, colleges will be dealing with appeals probably at a higher rate, aid appeals. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm nervous. I'm nervous for our kids who have full need. And quite frankly, those are the kids I worry about the, the most, the students right. who need money. It has become so expensive and um, college needs to be a smart financial decision as well as a smart educational decision for, uh, for all families. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I, I know we'll have future episodes. I look forward to meeting some of the people in your office. Um, in terms of your article on trends, anything we haven't covered that you want to highlight? Mm, I just think the one thing that I always like to say is that um, one of one of the reasons why I love doing college counseling, especially at Viewpoint, is that we have a chance to really work individually with kids and families. And I really want people to understand that they can come to us, they can work with us. Um, you know, we will help them with their individual needs and goals. And we are always doing our homework. We are trying so hard to stay on top of all the new changes that happen every year. Um, it's, again, part of why I do this work. I think it's really fun and interesting. And it, it's, never, it's never the same. Um, the one thing that is the same, though, is our commitment to helping kids and families find the right place. So, Wow. I so appreciate that. I have to tell you, the... Um the optimism in our students uh, is uh, is also enduring, and I, I know that uh, I've been admiring the College Counseling Office philosophy for years as we embraced our mission of world readiness, of exceptional mm -hmm. readiness for extraordinary futures. It is so aligned with the philosophy and the way that you and your colleagues work with our students. Um, I couldn't be happier. And uh, in fact, I think we look forward to meeting um, uh, your colleague or colleagues in a future episode, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're always happy to talk about our program and promote it. And you're absolutely right. Every aspect of it is designed to help kids be world ready. Well, I, I know that um, every year I look at the outcomes from the office and I say that is what world ready looks like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in the words of last year's salutatorian, um, and uh, in our next episode, in fact, our newest assistant director of college counseling, Tanaz Nurian, who comes to us from Chapman College, her alma mater, uh, will join us to continue talking about trends. Yeah, we look forward to it. Thanks, Mark. Rody, thank you so much. And uh, thank you to our audience for listening. Uh, this is On Point College Conversations, and we'll see you in January. On Point is produced by Viewpoint School an independent school in Calabasas, California, serving students in grades TK through 12. You also can find the On Point podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Viewpoint School channel on YouTube, and at viewpoint.org slash onpoint.